0: Hello everybody, this is Dr. Laura Freyan, and on this week's episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, we're going to be talking about spirited, challenging, strong-willed, amazing children, and how parenting them really can be seen as a spiritual practice and journey. And I'm so excited to have this conversation. To help me with it, I'm bringing in a first-time guest on the podcast, but a wonderful colleague, Mary Van Geffen. Oh, Mary, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk about this with you. Me too. You are so fun to be with. Oh, I agree. I mean, I feel the same about you. I'm so excited. Oh, okay <laughs> to agree about yourself. <laughs> Why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit more about who you are and what you do?
1: Okay. I am an international parent coach for moms with spicy and sensitive children. So mm. not the ones that are compliant and just do what the books say to do, but the ones that yeah are highly spirited and strong-willed and spicy. And I do most of my work over FaceTime. And then I have a few classes that I've put together, but I'm real big on Instagram and that's where I met you. And how did you get the call to start working with parents
0: of spicy kids?
1: Mm, I gave birth to one. (laughs) Yeah, I came to my knees through having a Spirited child that I did not know what to do with and went down kind of a path of trying to get her to be diagnosed with something and, and really make sure it was her not me that was the problem and then ended up in three years of therapy on my own and just mm-hmm. grew so much from my interactions with her that I didn't I wanted to help other people kind of leapfrog that yeah. and a lot of it is telling hard truths about What your role is and what it isn't, and what's within your control, and what's just part of your concern but it's not your control. Yeah, so I've lived it. I also have, like you, I also have a compliant child. I think (laughs) about me and wanting one of them to be easy, but also it helps you know that what's what you have created or done, what is like literally attributable to your effort as a parent, versus no, this is just how this being was born on this earth, and you're here to steward them, but not get them into shape
0: yeah i think that having a second child is a relief sometimes to me because i think if i only had my one who is more challenging and sensitive and spirited or whatever label you want to put on it i would think it was all my fault mm-hmm. and and now having another one i i can understand that there's personality and temperament but i you know similarly i you know, I, I was practicing as a parenting specialist, when I had my, when my oldest hit the threes and things really got intense, her autonomy really showed up in a strong way. Her sensitivity, the world just suddenly got to be a lot for her. And I resisted getting help and support for so long because I had this narrative that I was supposed to know how to do this, but none of my work in, in grad school None of it applied to her. None of it worked for
1: her. Add to that the fact that a lot of us with spirited, strong-willed children are trying to raise them differently than how we were raised. So it's not like we can go, oh well let me go back to the rule book, what worked because we're we're parenting without a map.
0: Yeah, right. And and most of us with those kids, you know, I don't know for you, but I was a sensitive spirited, strong-willed kid who was able to conform, who was able, had the the skills to be compliant because I needed to be in order to be successful. You know, I had to. I had to have kind of a little bit of my spirit broken. I don't want that for my kids. I'm not going to apologize for getting a little emotional. Right? Oh,
1: your beauty just went like times 10. So I... <sighs> There's nothing more beautiful than the lubrication of tears in the soul. It's just further verification that you're on the right path because that is not the story for your child.
0: Right, I know, and I I think that a lot of our listeners have one of these kids, and they want the same thing. They they know that there is a purpose for these kids coming into our lives and I'm so excited to have that part of this conversation so tell us a little bit more but about. let what... me just underscore okay, that we on. also
1: have to have the part of the grieving because a lot of <laughs> us are grieving that why can't I just have an easy child why does everything have to be a conflict why can't I have more influence over this being I have things to teach them but this being wants to learn by failing in the real world first. Like they don't want to hear it from me. And so I'm just like, if you're listening to this, it's okay to grieve that you didn't get one of those and to grieve that that you don't really know what the heck to do. (laughs) Nobody taught you, you don't have a mentor in this. And so you're making it up as you go along. But I think some of the work you do with parents, Laura, is helping them get more attuned to their inner knowing Yes, I know I do that too. Like when you know what your core values are, it doesn't feel so conflicting anymore. Like, wait a second, compassion matters to me. Therefore in this scenario, am I going to strong arm or am I going to bring this magical compassion? So yeah, I think that's, that's part of what I want to talk about today is the spiritual process of parenting a spicy child.
0: I agree. And I, and I think that it can feel really lonely. And part of the reason why I do what I do, and I think what you, why you do what you do, is so that people know that they don't have to make it up from scratch. They don't have to go it alone. That their, their friends at the playground who don't have one of these kids might not understand, but there are other parents who've walked this path before and can come alongside you and guide you. You don't have to do it alone.
1: Yeah. Don't ask those kids, those parents that say, hey, stay off that. And their kid goes, oh, okay, I'll stay off of it. (laughs) They have nothing to teach you. You are (laughs) an expert level. They are at the beginner spot.
0: Yes. (laughs) And not to say that parenting, you know, a compliant child isn't also challenging. And there's lots of work to do there, too. There's just unique challenges that are that parents of of. Um, spicy children, that's you call them, that we face. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about the spiritual practice
1: piece of it or the spiritual journey okay. piece of it. Before I get into it, let me describe what I'm talking about when I say a child is spicy. I'm talking for sure about their temperamental intensity and the depth of their emotions, but it's sort of a combination between what they bring to the table and then what you, the mom or the dad, have in terms of sort of an unhealed need to control. or a propensity to judge rather than accept something and also your fear of displeasing others. So when a child is spicy, sometimes I have to wonder, would your spicy be as spicy to me if I've worked through some of those things Mm. that we have to work through as, as having them. But let's just say, let's say you're totally healed. You know exactly what to do. Then a spicy kid is somebody who speaks to adults with no trepidation They laugh when they're disciplined to let you know it's not impacting them. They (laughs) are often not very consolable when they're upset and can't be rationalized with. They have a plan for how things are going to go and they can't believe that you would get in the way of that. So it feels like they're looking for a fight, but more they're looking for you to just go ahead with their amazing idea. They have so much energy to spare. They are louder than maybe is appropriate. They use very colorful language that makes you wince. They can say things that are so incredibly hurtful because it's almost (laughs) like they're poets and they can go to that thing that would just hurt so hard to hear. Yesterday, my spicy 16 year old said, mom, I think you should go on ADHD medication. Like like she knew what to say.
0: (laughs) They know just where to stick the knife (laughs) and how to twist it just right.
1: Sometimes I found myself like defending myself. Well, actually, I haven't taken medication in a long time. And I think, and I'm like, whoa, I don't, I need to take this underneath. She's feeling angsty about something. It has nothing to do with me. So (laughs) spicy is an intense child who just isn't wired the same way to just comply just because you said so. Um, Sometimes they can have powerful regularity and sometimes they can be very inconsistent. They're negotiators. I don't know. What would you add? Because I know that you are raising a spicy child. (laughs) I think that they often
0: are very self-motivated and can't be bribed or bought. You know, they, I mean, and these are beautiful things too. They have a pretty a strict internal sense of what's right and justice and fairness,
1: Yes, yes. which I think is really cool. They also notice everything. So like they will notice that a chair has been moved or that you're upset before they've even like seen you in the morning.
0: Or they were really good at noticing inconsistencies. Like when you do as you do, not as you say you're supposed to do. (laughs) Like my spicy child just called out her teacher in class on the first day of school and said, you know, Miss Linnea, you're... Classroom rules are that the, the for number one is that we all listen to each other and you're not listening to your students right now. I was like, oh. But luckily she's got a teacher who appreciates this aspect of her
1: personality. And oh, likes it. And May we all appreciate these powerhouses because they will become the presidents. They will become the CFOs. Yes. They are just in a different caliber of the internal sense of self that they bring to this world. And they, it will be used for good. It will
0: if we can just hang on for the ride,
1: <laughs> um, in for the ride and have a little bit of influence in how their life goes. absolutely.
0: So, Wait, you mentioned yeah. something before though that you know you that what's spicy for me might not be spicy for you, and I really appreciated that you're bringing in this kind of family systems piece these kids don't happen in isolation. They happen in an environment that's not suited to them. And whether it's an internal environment of ours that needs work, I think that that is so important to oftentimes parents come to me hoping that I will fix their child. And what in reality we need to do is that most of the time there is a mismatch in the parents' expectations and the reality of their child, and they need some adjustments so that the child and the parent can both be successful in their home, in their family. Well, I really appreciated that you brought that up. That I think it's really important that we are brave enough to look at ourselves and the work we have to do. And, you know, you also said, you know, if I was this totally healed person, these things, when these kids show up at me the same way. I wouldn't get upset by it. But I'm not sure, you know, I think for me personally, I know in my experience with my own daughter, I couldn't, I had no idea that the buttons that she pushes were even there before Mm. she started pushing them. She has been like my biggest partner in helping me figure out what's within me that still needs healing and attention and kindness and compassion. She's so good at showing me that I think that that's, I, I I derailed us, but I feel like that's what we're going to talk about. I want to
1: add to that. I, when I, when my daughter was, I don't know, three or four, I called a friend of mine who's a therapist. And I said, I don't like this person I'm raising. Mm. I wouldn't choose to spend time with her. And she said, gosh, have you thought about talking to a therapist? And I said, oh, I already did therapy in my late twenties. Like I, I did many years of it. So I'm good there. And she let me know about how you have a new remembering context at each age that your child is. Suddenly when your child is three, you are three again, just Mm -hmm. on the other side of a parent-child relationship. And so you might think you've healed your stuff, but you've never been three again. You've never been four again. And guess what? When your child's 14, you're (laughs) remembering what it was like for you to be 14 and stuff's coming up. So can we please take the stigma off of having therapy or having help Um, Because we think we've already healed it. I just want to agree with what you're saying.
0: Absolutely. I did this reel on Instagram a while back. And it was about healing while parenting. And someone came on and commented that parents should... People should do that before they have kids. You should, and I just oh,
1: bless the trolls.
0: They're I know the well, that person wasn't a parent yet, so I don't think that they oh. know. And they, oh, how they, awesome! And you know, I, I responded with compassion and actually got some information out of out of her. She was lovely, um, but she was parented by parents who blamed all their mistakes and transgressions on their own childhood you know, so had really didn't take responsibility and accountability for their, their lack and their mistakes and their brokenness and, and, kind of excused it because they had bad childhoods and they they were abused. And so they're doing the best that they can, you know, because they didn't have any good models. And, and I mean, yes, we are all doing the best we can, but I think that's a very different thing than actually te- like working actively and intentionally to heal while you're parenting. It's a completely different thing than just blaming all your mistakes on, on your wounds, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Anyway, but yes, I agree with you. I, you know, this is why one of the recommendations I have for my folks who are really working hard to heal themselves is that they carry a picture of themselves at the age that each of their children currently is. So when each of my kids has a birthday, I spend time going combing through the photos that I have from my own childhood to find, you know, oh, my so my sweet. nine-year-old picture. And I keep it yeah. on, on my desk so that I'm aware.
1: So yeah. yeah beautiful. And just remembering what you, what was delightful about that little person, because so often when someone comes to me and they're like, Oh, this kid, I, you know, I want to show, I want to give more unconditional love to this kid. It's like, well, it starts inside the house. Like it starts with you giving yourself Mm -hmm. intentional and unconditional love. And when you are withholding that from yourself, you really can't give it to somebody else. You haven't sort of lived in it. You haven't experienced it. So that's beautiful. I'm going to steal that. And my daughter's about to turn 17. I'm going to go find a picture of wild, promiscuous 17 <laughs> year old Mary and-, and just love <laughs>
0: on her. See, yeah. like I think that like, it's so
1: important too, that,
0: that it is really hard to love the parts of our children that went unloved and unaccepted and, you know, in us when we were that age. And so seeing, you know, 17 year old Mary and all of her wildness and her, you know, rebellion and loving it. Mm -hmm. I just, it's, it's really powerful.
1: Yeah. And that actually is kind of, you're reminding me that some of my journey when my daughter was young was to, I was noticing myself labeling her in the same ways Mm -hmm. I had been labeled. Like she's so bossy. She's so So bossy She's too much. And I realized, oh, that's kind of how I think my mom thinks of me Mm -hmm. and realizing, wait, is this a story that's fresh and new or is this a handed down generational wound? And so that's what's so beautiful about looking. I spent some time looking back at pictures of me around four and five and saying she was a spitfire. She was a joy. She had a she had plans. She was a creator. Like that's so different. She's a leader. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The
0: words matter. Oh, they do. And it the energy behind them matter, too. And But if we are still thinking of our inner child as that bossy, dramatic, too much girl, and then we see it coming out in our own child, of course, we're going to want to shut that down and squash it because it's not safe. It's not, We learned that it wasn't safe to be that way out in the world. And of course, we want to protect our kids. You know, so makes it sound so altruistic. I love that. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, the part, our reactive parts of us, I do think have the best of intentions. They're just misguided. Mm-hmm. They're lost in time. They think it's still happening to us, and they don't understand that there's a new person driving the ship, right? This new us that they have. They don't have our parents as the parent figure. They have us, conscious, awakening, healing people who are leading this family. Okay. So we got sidetracked. <laughs> I love Should conversations be that are that like this beautiful though. Side yes, it was good. Okay. So we, we've been on this beautiful little wild goose chase down the side, side road. And now we're back to the spiritual aspects of all of this.
1: Yes. Yeah. So let's take define us there. Spirituality. Let's do it. Yes. I think of <laughs> spirituality is, and especially a spiritual discipline as showing up as a habit to embody love to choose unconditional love to move away from fear and to just embrace goodness and gratitude Mm -hmm. and i'm not talking positive toxicity or positive toxicness toxic
0: positivity toxic positivity Yeah. yeah
1: yeah i'm talking about more like that the more consciousness we bring to raising a child who is not willing to go along with our flow the more we kind of open up and let go of some some limiting beliefs and stuff some old programming and i i kind of brought today four postures that i think help somebody in a position of raising a spicy child to lean into that spiritual walk that that discipline of becoming more love
0: yeah and becoming more full and whole too more integrated, more aligned and authentic. Yes. Okay. What are the postures?
1: Uh, Well, the first one is accepting that you are in charge of your child, but you're not in control of them. And when we can really embody that, like feel what it feels like to be like, oh, I'm not in control of whether or not she's happy about that limit or... I can't, I can't make him eat that food I put down. Mm-hmm. That's outside of my control. I'm just in charge of offering healthy food. So having, mm-hmm. just knowing what is mine and what is theirs, you know, like in the, in the AA community, it's like be in charge of your side of the street. Yeah. You don't, don't worry about theirs. And so redefining success as a mom of a spirited, strong-willed, spicy child is how are you behaving? That's the behavior you have the most control over. Are you being the most regulated person in the room? Are you working and cultivating your calm? Are you choosing to stay with a soft face even when it's hard what's in front of you? That's more important than being in control because you can't be in control. So I think a big part of this spiritual journey is I might as well open up my hands because I'm clenching and there's nothing in them.
0: Mm -hmm. It's already Mm -hmm. all slipped through your fingers. Yeah. Ooh, that's a big one, though. It's really hard to let go of control, especially if control is how we felt safe for so long in our lives.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Especially Whew. if our childhood was a little bit out of control. You think, well, not in this house. In this house, we will be safe, and we there will, will be
0: order. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: And so there, there can be order, but the order is you can know what to expect from the adults in this house. Mm -hmm. They stay calm and in their loving, even when their child is being disobedient or is not going along with the plan Mm -hmm. and they stay loving. Even when that child is lost in their feelings and having some huge um, tantrums or upset, your emotions are safe and allowed here. So that's a part of, you can't control when they're going to get upset, but you can control how you're going to meet them when they're upset.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes, accepting that we cannot control them, that the, where our power is, is within us and our response. Mm -hmm. Beautiful.
1: And some of that means letting down your fear of what others think because they might have a different way of defining good mom. Like, Oh wow. Her daughter ran away from her in the grocery store. Is she a good mom? You know, you can't be in control of the fact that your daughter loves to run in a, in a free space where she realizes you don't have as much of a control on her. That's part of her journey. You can just do your best to hold her hand. And when she gets really upset to, to soothe your own nervous system, because you're in charge of keeping her safe, but you're not in control of how she's going to respond to that.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're not in control of other people's response. to her either that and you know just like our kids don't have to like our limits when we're keeping them safe other parents and other people in our lives don't have to like our approach to parenting either we also can't control those things right
1: yes such good advice
0: Mm. (laughs) because i know that for lots of us who are parenting differently our families that we're around have thoughts and opinions on oh and they always share them (laughs) Yes. Okay. So this is that's the first posture.
1: Yes. The second posture is, and I literally wrote these today. So this is not like this is the book on spirit. It's more your <laughs> thoughts I have about things to yeah. consider on this journey. But the second is choosing curiosity rather than judgment. Mm. I think we're, we are so locked into a very um, black, black or white p- polar polarizing thought pattern of, is this good? Is this bad? Um, Mm -hmm. Do I like it? Do I not like it? And that's sort of a monkey minded ego driven. It's just not that helpful. Mm -hmm. So instead softening yourself and being curious. So rather than, Oh my gosh, he won't put his shoes on. That's bad. It's getting curious what's going on here And, and getting close and softening place between your eyebrows and being curious about What's motivating the behavior that's hard for you. Mm -hmm. And then just as importantly, getting curious about your own reaction to things. I remember getting so angry at my son when I would be putting his soccer shoes on in the car and he would be trying to run to his soccer team. (laughs) Like it makes no sense, but I would be like, can you stop? Like something about him pulling away while I was trying to tie his shoes. I still don't really know what that's about, but I brought (laughs) curiosity to it. Like, wow interesting. That is hard for you. You sort of want them sitting down. You're something about the being on a time limit where someone's pulling away something you're working on. is really hard for you. And just being curious about that versus, mm-hmm. oh, I'm so bad. I'm such a bad mom. Like oh, yes. instead of making yeah. a judgment that you are bad or you are good, same with your children. Let's just bring curiosity. What's mm-hmm. it like to be you today? Oh, I love
0: that. I will say over and over again till the day I die that curiosity is our superpower in every relationship that we want to have have it be healthy and satisfying. If we just can bring like curiosity and compassion are like the little secret ingredients for
1: every relationship. And it's true for parenting, it's true for partnering. I love that. Yes. One meta, I I love metaphors. Like if I can have an image in my head, I I do better. And one metaphor that I will give clients a lot who are struggling with how to connect with their kid and they want to come in and fix things is to be a delighted anthropologist (laughs) and a delighted anthropologist. When they show up to this indigenous population, they're not saying, oh, that's a good idea. That's a bad idea. They're not wondering how they can fix it and optimize it. Nope. They're just sitting there with their pen and paper going, oh, this is the ritual they do. Oh, and then they all head there and there's no judgment. There's actually an honoring of it. And I want people to be delighted anthropologists about the way their children show up in the world. I love that. Oh, I love that. So that's even like, so that's
0: taking a step beyond curiosity and to delighting and finding awe in your child. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. And that's my third posture uh, is cultivating delight. Mm
0: -hmm. Like
1: in the end, I think that's our biggest job is that we would be a person on this planet that delights in our child, that lights up when they walk into a room where somebody they feel like likes them. A lot of moms of spirited kids will do anything for them, but we don't necessarily like them because they've broken our plans so much and we can't control what they do and we're judging ourselves as not good enough and that's making a a resistance to them. So practicing and building your delighting muscles. It's okay if it doesn't come naturally. Set the timer for 15 minutes, just delight in them. And by that I mean first off, you're unitasking, you're just with the child. You're, you're looking for their eyes, but maybe they're involved in something they love and you're just watching it. And you're looking for, what do I appreciate Mm. about this? What um, do I have gratitude for? What is beautiful about this? Because the question we ask about our children is the one that gets answered. So if it's, what's he doing now? Mm. You're going to find the negative thing he's doing now. But if you're saying what's delightful about this child, I promise you, if you hold that question long enough things start to light up that you didn't see before
0: Mm -hmm.
1: oh i love that
0: oh the question we ask about our child is the one we find the answer to i love that i really like that a lot
1: that's the third posture the fourth posture is honoring our own inner longings and this is sort of the antidote to the selfless mother or the martyr mother or frankly the victim mother who's like i can't get this kid to do anything When we honor what's most important deep within us and fulfill that beyond just our child, like having a thing that jazzes us up, that we love, that is completely independent of whether or not our child does well in school or whatever they do, makes us a wholer, more resourceful person. So I, I have many clients where I'll say, what are you longing for? And they look at me blankly and say, I don't know, because I've spent so much time thinking about what this kid needs, what they're doing or not Mm -hmm. doing, how I'm messing it up, that I forgot to check in with like, what brings me joy? I think that that's incredibly powerful.
0: Honoring your own inner longing. Mm. I think that especially for our spicy kids, our challenging kids, our spirited kids, oftentimes they demand a lot of focus and attention from us but they actually thrive when we worry about them less
1: yes that's so true
0: and so i think too like finding for me finding a hobby for myself was incredibly important for a number of things that contributed to the happiness of my entire family but your hobby Uh, I paint, I do watercolor painting, not well, but for fun, (laughs) you know, and I have found that when I am grumpy or in a bad mood, it's because I haven't been taking good care of myself. I haven't been nurturing or honoring things that bring me a sense of fulfillment and joy. And if I pull out my paints, I immerse myself in that, that things that were rocky in in the rest of the family tend to dissipate. You know, if the one kid is in a grumpy mood and I focus on kind of finding pleasure for myself, she often goes and finds pleasure for herself. And then we meet up 20 minutes later and the air is clear and things are a little sunnier. Um, So I really like that advice.
1: And and what you're reminding me of is like, so often you're probably giving the same advice, which is you need some one-on-one time with your child, some special time to connect. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about special time to connect with ourselves. Yes, exactly. You've been ignoring your needs for so long. Yeah. And sometimes they're literally physical needs like, oh, uh, uh, oh, wait a second. I guess I've needed to pee for the last three hours, but I haven't given myself the the chance to do that because I don't matter. I mean, I'm not sometimes. Or even,
0: a- no, so many of the, my parents that I work with, like, won't take care of their own physical needs because if they leave the room, the. Big, the, you know, the bigger one will hit the little one, you know, and they will come back to a disaster, you know, but yes. Yeah. Oh gosh. I, I think we do talk about that so much about that one-on-one time with our kids and we neglect ourselves so much, particularly when we've got a really demanding, sensitive child.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and being okay, like I've had clients where we've spent two, three sessions on, unsticking the part of them that says, I can't have a break. I'm the only one that can deal with this child. And so realizing somebody else can come in that you're paying, you know, $15 an hour and, and it won't be a magical time maybe, but it will be a beautiful restoration for you to have a break. It's okay to need a break from your child. Yeah. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human. Yeah.
0: And like that's also part of this posture of being in charge but not in control. So you can be in charge of you taking the break you need, so you can feel rejuvenated and be your best self with your kid who is demanding, but you can't be in control of all the little micro interactions that they have with this caregiver. Um, yes. so you go
1: out of the way like planning things for the babysitter and my daughter. Like I'm embarrassed by how micromanaging I'd be. I'd be like, okay, I've got this out for you. And after that you'll do this. And I should have just left with the house in disarray and let them figure it out. Everybody, And they would, out. they
0: would have figured it out. <laughs> and the, it's the same with partners. A lot of my clients too have, you know, the kid prefers one partner over the other, you know, one parent over the other. And there are times where you just have to get yourself out of the picture and let them figure it out. And it won't be perfect. And it won't be exactly how you do it. And they might come crying to you after. Words That can happen. But Yes, you're important. We, we matter in all of this. And not just because we matter for ourselves, we matter as people because we're humans, but because it helps us be better parents too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that sometimes with things like this, parents will only do it if we know, they know there's a benefit to the kid. But I, I think it's important to just know that the fact that it benefits you is enough too.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like that idea that, well, you can rest because it makes you more productive. How about you can just rest you are and you are worthy of rest? Oh my God. Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So I've loved this conversation so far. I think that lots of parents agree with what we're saying in principle but walking the walk and in the moment what do you do you're at the park they're refusing to get down from the top of the slide you know and it's time to go they're clearly hungry they're losing it like what do we do with these kids do you have any Liz, sage sure. <laughs> advice <I> mean, there
1: <laughs> cuz well, I,
0: I think we've been we've been really you know in this beautiful kind of conceptual space <laughs> but no one's coming to save you when you're at the park with your kid it's just you and her you know or him
1: well, there's the work you did beforehand, which is you talked about how the ending will go. Mm-hmm. And says, when we go, got, we'll leave at this time. And you might be sad that we're leaving. Sometimes you get sad, right? But mommy will help you out. Hold your hand. And even if you're yelling, okay, we'll still leave because we'll need to come home. So you're casting that vision ahead of time about how it's going to go ahead of time, which, yeah, which also gives you permission. Because sometimes we think, oh, am I, am I taking, am I? I don't know, should I be picking up this child? I don't know, you know, so letting them know, here's what we'll do, getting their input. Spicy kids love to say, well, it, like, is there anything you're gonna to wanna to do before we leave? Yes, I will have to swing on the swings. Oh, so good to know, And you will swing on the swings. But now we're at the park and it's time to go. Physical follow through is so important because this is not a child that, well, I asked them, so they should do it. The asking is the starting of the process then it's you following through, not absentmindedly on the phone or talking to your friend. It's you coming, connecting with them, which means eye contact. You're physically close to them. You're not, not in an
0: intimidating way, but in a connected way. Yes. yes.
1: Yeah. Thank you. You're connecting with them and they see you and you see them and there's a slight smile to your face. And then you say, it's time to go and keep your hand on them and say, you know, it depends on the age we're talking about. But a a lot of times I would say, do you want to walk to the car on your own? Or do you want me to carry you? It's not a threat. It is literally the two options we have for getting there. Mm -hmm. If there's huge feelings to be had, and you have the time, you can sit with them. Because I, I'm a believer, like every time you stay regulated, and sit with a child having a huge feeling, you've just like built up a little bit of the foundation of their mental health. And they are becoming just that much better at calming themselves later. Sometimes we don't have the time for that. But if you have the time for it, staying with them and just being empathetic, I know you don't like to leave. doesn't mean we have to change the limit, but we can see them and and come alongside them with their sadness that they have to leave. But I would stay physically close with a spirited person. Like it's not going to, because then all of a sudden you're chasing them. There's also adding an element of play anytime we can sprinkle play on it, like, I'm just, I think I'm, when I go to the car, I'm going to hop like a kangaroo. How do you, how are you going to do it? I'm going to be a cat. Well, come on, meow, meow. Let's go. Right. So yes. <laughs> there's also the healing afterwards of telling the story of what happened, mm-hmm. giving words to a small child when things kind of went out of control, whether that's literally you apologizing, or it's more like I, I wrote a, a healing story once for my daughter that was called. She just wanted the mashed potatoes not to touch the chicken. And in it, the mom drags the daughter to her bedroom. And she the daughter did not like that. The daughter liked it when her mommy was gentle. And then the mommy said, you deserve a gentle mommy and to always be treated with kindness. And it wasn't if you do what I want, just always. She always deserves to be treated with kindness. Let me tell you, as Mary Van Geffen, the international parenting coach, I was not always kind, right? So it's okay. We can't rake ourselves over the coals. We have to forgive ourselves and talk about it and then make promises that we can keep about how we're going to show up. That's a little bit of a tangent, but
0: no, no, it's, it's so good. I love this idea of a healing story um, for those times where it's been really hard and, helping a child make sense and craft a narrative that's healthy instead of leaving them to their own devices to draw their own conclusions about what happened and why. I think that that is a beautiful recommendation to be doing because they will, they will draw their own conclusions about why they got dragged to their room or why, you know, you lost your cool and you yelled. They will, they will make conclusions. They are crafting and building their internal working model of themselves and others. Right now, as we speak, all of our little children are. And so giving them a healthy connection-based narrative, um, one where you're taking personal responsibility and accountability for your own mistakes, is so beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to be doing instead of leaving them to their own devices to draw their own conclusions. I also think, too, like in the moments when things like when their kids are dug in on something that they want, I I find for my kid that wishful thinking really helps them because they I feel like she can she and many kids like her can get really focused on their vision of what they wanted it to be. And so using wishful thinking has been really helpful for me. So I'll just tell a story. So one time when my oldest was probably five and my youngest was three, she came down from getting dressed and was in this beautiful pink dress. And my five year old who had 15 beautiful dresses saw that pink dress and wanted it and was losing it over the fact that why does Evie get a new dress and I don't have a new dress and why did she get it? And I don't, I want it. And, we were hearing her and listening to her. My husband was trying to reason with her, which never works, but he's got his own relationship with her. And that's bother. fine. You know, that's okay. And I just, you know, I, there would happen to be paper and crayons on the table and I just got out a piece of paper and I drew a stick figure in a beautiful pink dress and I wrote on it, Ellie wants a pink dress. And I just, without saying anything to her, she was, you know, melting down. You know, she did not like me to talk to her in the midst of a meltdown. I just slid the paper across to her. And I said, it says, Ellie wants a pink dress. She goes, yes, that's what I want. Put it on the refrigerator so you don't forget. (laughs) And then we taped it onto the refrigerator and she skipped off. And that was it. We never heard about the pink dress again. She didn't even actually want the
1: pink dress. She just wanted to feel heard and seen.
0: So that's what wishful thinking.
1: Yeah. And that comes up a lot in sibling dynamics where we can use the phrase you wish. And I I just came off teaching, I have a sibling course. If anyone's interested, it's just two hours of learning how to create a more peaceful sibling environment. But one of the things that a lot of parents aren't as comfortable with is letting out negative feelings about Mm. sibling. And so when an older sibling maybe says, I hate her, we say, no, you don't, that's your best friend, no. But instead we can take that child into a private area and say, I, I, I bet you wish that it was just you and mommy today at the park. Or, or is that true? Are you wishing? And that's a beautiful way of helping them release and share what feel like heavy, dark feelings especially if the if the adults never wanna hear it. So yes. I, I think of that as also wishful thinking is allowing that to be set outside. And your example of putting in writing a wish is also pretty powerful on the calendar. So when a mm-hmm. spicy one's like, I never get to sit in the front seat, I want, you can say, oh, you really want to sit in the front seat. Let's go put it on the calendar. What what day do you think we should do it? Or let's put it on the list of things that absolutely must happen for you. And mm-hmm. it's like, you're taking it seriously and they get that you keep writing things down that matter to you in your calendar. So if it matters, write this thing down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, it's interesting that, that, that allowing all of the dark thoughts and emotions and feelings, allowing it all, I think gets it out faster, helps your child feel so much more accepted. And I mean, what we resist persists, right? And so if we're resisting those negative feelings between siblings, I love that you mentioned taking them off to the side. I think that there's, we have a, you know, it's, it's their relationship. It's their sibling relationship. But I do think we have a duty to protect their relationship from, from each other in their worst moments. So yes, taking, you know, it's, it's okay to hate your sister at times. We don't have to let you say it out loud in front of your sister in a way that could hurt her, you know, and hurt your relationship. These are lovely things, Mary. Mm -hmm. So Tell us where folks can find you and learn more from you and learn with you and alongside you.
1: Ah, uh, well, I am on Instagram every day. Mary Van Geffen putting out a tip each day. And I have a couple courses that I think are, I know are very powerful. And one is the, the compassionate response meditation. And that's for anybody listening who does not like their child right now. It's mm. just leave it where you don't like this person and your brain is a little stuck on all the things about them that are awful. And so the compassionate response meditation is a one hour course to grow the compassion within you and to look at both their golden self and their sort of fevered self their soul fever. So that's one. And the other is this sibling class, which is changing families and it's two hours of investment for you and Included in it is me role-playing how to handle a conflict. What is your role? What do you? What can you yeah. walk away from and say that's theirs? And what is what does it look like to teach them healthy conflict resolution skills?
0: And oh, I broke so it fun. down into
1: a step-by-step process.
0: That sounds great. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is so much fun to talk about all of these things. I I feel like I've met a kindred spirit when it comes to our spirited, challenging, strong-willed, or whatever <laughs> you know, whatever label gets put on these kids it was really lovely to get to connect with someone who sees things this way and that we can all know that we're not alone
1: yeah it's good to it's good to be your co-worker